Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you're sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast for you. Each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome to Outbound Metrics. John Selig is a former salesperson turned stand-up comic and consultant that helps salespeople get more positive responses from prospects using humor to get a deeper understanding of their buyers and their relevance to them. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Are you ready to dive in? Yeah, I fixed my, uh, my logistical issues here and I'm good to go. Awesome. Now, what you do is very unique, which is why I originally reached out to you. And in your words, can you kind of sum up for the audience? what you do, what value you provide, and and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I show anyone who is customer-facing, so whether it's an SDR, an AE, customer success, marketing, you name it, I show them how to better understand who their buyers are, their relevant, how to, how to unpack their relevance to their buyers all through the process of writing humor, writing jokes, sort of using my stand-up comedy background. And what it does is... At the very least, it doesn't necessarily make everyone funnier, but it helps them craft memorable messaging. It gives them a process to do so, and it helps them craft that messaging that bakes that relevance and that understanding of the buyer right into short, succinct, punchy messages. Awesome. And I think it'd be good to kind of go over where you saw a need for this. Uh, based on your experiences as, as a salesperson and stand-up comic and how you kind of got to this point where you're at now. So everything that we're about to talk about, I wouldn't say is because I'm so such, such a brilliant, innovative genius who sees need in the marketplace. <laughs> it was more just the fact that I didn't want to have a full-time job selling technology anymore. I actually set out to be a speaker, just purely a speaker who shows up at sales meetings, makes people laugh using my comedy background, using my sales background. But really quickly, I realized, well, this isn't, this is good, but there could be a lot more value Mm -hmm. for sales reps. And when I was working in the Oracle world, which I spent about nine years in, there was all these little niche jokes about the competitors, about certain internal technologies, what have you. And I always was like, where did that come from? Because some of it was pretty good. Some of it was pretty clever. And I made it my mission to say, I want 
different companies to have their own niche jokes that they can tell to their buyers to make powerful business points to them. Uh, and that's really sort of how I created comedy writing for revenue teams. I thought it would be, again, fun. But as I got into the marketplace, I realized that my weird innovative ideas that I thought people would like, um, that there is a real need for, for really what, what I'm offering because there's, there's a lot of noise in the marketplace. Attention spans are quite short. It's really hard to connect if prospects don't know who your brand is, whether you're doing cold outreach. Even if, they, even if you, you get on a demo and it's scheduled, sometimes people don't even know why they're there. They agree to take a meeting. And humor has all this, uh, not, just, not just the jokes themselves, but again, that process of writing jokes forces the writers to think about all kinds of important things so that they can flick on the right emotional switches with their buyers. Now let's dig into that last piece, like just that process of writing those jokes, what it does for the sales rep, right? Yep. Who is doing that? What sort of transformation are they going to and like what are they uncovering? And if you, you can give an example to if you weave that in there, but what does that process look like? Yeah. So I think what's terrifying, especially if you're a new sales rep, is you took a job that you never even knew existed, but you took it because, you know, hey, it's a job. And, and that's how I fell into sales. I never thought about getting into sales, but I needed one. And I, I was offered one after, you know, being misled by a job title of business development consultant. <laughs> I thought they were uh, looking for me, this company, Oracle, this little startup, to really help become a business development consultant who would come in there do a deep dive, a discovery, and take that startup to the next level. Turned out it was a cold calling job. <laughs> so I ended up in this career and didn't really understand how to sell. I didn't understand that at the end of the day, salespeople aren't salespeople. They're, they're the good salespeople are consultants. We're solving really niche micro business issues, which our solutions just so happen can, can eliminate for our customers to help them get to where they want to go. And when I started at Oracle, they had a gazillion products. I was selling just business applications. I'm like, how am I going to explain what Oracle Financials does to a mm -hmm. CFO? How do I pitch that? And then I realized really quickly, to be quite frank with you, this isn't about pitching. This isn't knowing features. It's not about knowing functions. It's just being able to understand what the customer is trying to achieve. And can we help them do that? And when I was at Oracle, I would be calling a CFO or a CIO. And I have, I have a couple of business degrees. I have a very cursory understanding of who these people are and what they do, but I have no clue what their actual day-to-day -day looks like. And so at the same time, if I'm told I need to be sort of um, trying to prospect around a particular solution, I've never used this tool. I've never had this person's job and I've never worked in their industry. So there's a big knowledge gap and that makes it really hard to relate. However, I always believe that like good humor, a good joke. And when I say a joke, I don't mean a rabbi, a priest in a bar uh, and a minister walk into a bar and say offensive things to one another. I mean, just a short one or two sentence, one or two liner kind of thing that can be connecting tissue between buyer and seller because you can communicate a whole lot of information, can paint a picture. And like I said, elicit an emotional reaction. So if we reverse engineer what goes into the joke, you have to really understand who your audience is who your buyer is, and what's important to them. What does their day-to-day -day look like? What are they trying to achieve? 
What are the common struggles they're facing? How are they measured? What are they frightened about? What makes them nervous? What do they absolutely detest and, and just are frustrated by? And most importantly, where are they looking to go? Like what's their desired end state and what objectives do they need to reach to get there? And if we don't understand that about our buyers, it's the same way that if I go on stage at a comedy club and I make a joke about what's going on in my own city, but I didn't realize from the MC's introductory salvos with the audience that everyone in the audience is not actually based here in Montreal, my own hometown. They're all visiting from elsewhere. And if I tell them a joke about Montreal and life in Montreal, it's not going to land. It's not going to connect because right. it's not relevant to them. They don't have the, the necessary knowledge and understanding to grasp and appreciate the joke. The first step in, in the process is to understand everything about our buyers. And, and really, most importantly, like, let's figure out what affects their emotions. That Going off that Oracle example, selling you know, its financial product to a CFO. What's that person dealing with in their role? Like what's their point A, where they're at, their point B, what they're trying to get to like in that gap? What's that pain? I mean, CFOs, look, every CFO has a different pain, but I mean, some general ones are obviously profitability, share price, margins are pretty important. Uh, and these are bigger picture things. These are more strategic kind of, you know, liquidity maybe. Maybe do they, do they, do they have, are they in a good enough position to, Maybe execute a leverage buyout. I'm not a guy who understands financial, financial anything too well, to be quite frank. But, um, but these are big picture things which CFOs think about. If you go a little bit lower down the food chain, the corporate controller or the director of finance, they're focused on more tactical stuff. They're thinking about making sure the budget's in order and working with all the different departments. They're dealing with things like handling uh, accounts payable and accounts receivable. And the, the underlying processes to fulfill those functions. And all that rolls up to the CFO. Those, those directors, those controllers of finance, they're they're more they're focused on more tactical stuff, but of course they have an eye on the strategic stuff. Again, it's like we we need to understand who is our audience. Is it is it a senior person who cares about that strategic stuff? Or is it someone who's focused on more tactical things like making sure the books close on time or or are we duplicating? data by shipping around a spreadsheet for planning and budgeting purposes. Right. And how would you craft something? And it doesn't have to be, it could just be like high level. It doesn't even have to be this CFO example, but like understanding your buyer, how would you craft something around that to create like a one or two line joke? Or like even an example of one that you or one of your customers has written in the past. Yeah. Good humor is often grounded in specifics and granularity. Mm -hmm. I always love a good joke when my favorite stand-up comedian ends his joke with the name of a fast food chain. Mm. And I don't have a good example on the tip of my, sort of off the tip of my tongue, but for example, specifics can be used to highlight various impacts of not solving a problem because those are the things that, that are very tangible and visceral and that certain uh, buyer personas can really relate to. Again, a CFO doesn't really care about like some low-level stuff, right? Like they do, but that's why they have managers to deal with it. Those managers care about those more process-oriented frustrations. So an example that I can give you, I was working with Canon's global, kind of Canon Solutions America. And what they do, they, they have a couple of different names, but uh, the, the one I worked with is Canon Solutions America. 
And they, companies outsource all their print to them. And when I say their print, I don't just mean like the printer and the papers, uh, the paper, but it's toner replenishment, it's security on the network, it's driver updates on the network, it's anything to do with, with print. And the reason why they have a successful business is because print is this pain in the ass. Can I say ass on your podcast? Yeah, that's fine. Thank God. I thought I was going to get canceled there. Uh, It's a pain in the ass for really everybody. No one wants to own print. The CIO doesn't want to own print because the CIO wants to work on what's the architecture we need to bring us into the next decade. Right. Uh, A COO wants to be working on more strategic stuff themselves. So no one wants to own print. So the joke that these guys wrote that went something like this, that, that closet full of toner could be good inventory management or an early sign of a hoarding disorder. Yeah. <laughs> it paints a picture mm-hmm. and it, it, it highlights like what can go wrong if you don't, if you ignore this problem and you leave things as is, this is what you're going to have on your hands. There's another one that I could sort of uh, underline for you. I worked with a company called EventMobi. Mm-hmm. And they're a SaaS for event planners who want to give every attendee of their conference or, or sales meeting or what have you an app with the agenda, with everything they need, right on right an app on their smartphone. And the reason is, also comes back to print, is that it's a hassle to not only print programs, but dispose of them. So the joke that they wrote was the most challenging part of printing programs for your next event will be finding a big enough recycling bin to put them in. Yeah. (laughs) What we're doing, but to get there, they had to really understand, okay, well, who's frustrated by that challenge of printing programs and what do they hate most about it? And what are some of the consequences of if they keep printing programs, what's going to happen? And, Mm -hmm. you know, they talked about how after large conferences, programs are left all over the floor. Right. And people didn't keep them. They didn't take them. They barely looked at them. And they spent a ton of money on printing, distribution, and disposal. And so in one or two sentences, they figured out a way to paint a picture about why the status quo sucks for the buyer. And if they laugh, the idea is that the buyer goes, that's funny because it's true. We, we, we throw out so many programs after our, uh, our, after our customer conferences. Yeah, like, like tell me more. This is a, we don't need to do that. That doesn't seem like a good use of our, our resources. I see now the, you telling those examples, I see now that like in this joke writing process, it's essentially, I'm trying to think of something harder than writing something from scratch to make someone laugh. And I think it might be the hardest thing to do. And because, and, and what that really forces that seller to do is to make something funny, to make something laugh. You really, like you said, it, it's funny because it's true you really have to dig down and relate to that person and understand where they're coming from. There's, there's, there's no other exercise that they can do that will get them closer to doing that. So like it's forcing them to step in that person's shoes. Also, I see kind of a parallel to the efficiency of video here where it's like video, you can explain something a lot faster, like with images and things like you can, you can explain a point a lot faster or get more across quickly. You can do this same with a joke, right? You can tell a joke and say a lot in that joke in a couple lines that you would typically have to do with like 
writing several lines of just something that's more like fact oriented or, you know, your basic value prop and here's how we help and benefit and da, da, da. just telling that joke, you can really get that information across a lot faster. Now, a question I have, the humor that I've seen in sales has mainly, this is like changing my, or, or this is making me think differently about this stuff for the first time. But what I've seen in sales, all the humor I've seen in sales has been focused on the salesperson and like how annoying outreach is to that other, to the that recipient, like something about another inbox, another email filling up their inbox, you know, and the salesperson, da, da, da. would you say that that is something you don't want to do because it's too focused on the salesperson and not the buyer? Or what's your opinion on that? So my opinion is you can have the best of both worlds, and at least, mm-hmm. at least if, uh, if you work with me. Let's talk about that, actually, because I think it's healthy if you're cold calling or cold emailing to say, like, we've never spoken before. Mm-hmm. Get someone on the phone. Hey, uh, Morgan, this is John Seelig. I'm with uh, Comedy Writing for Revenue Teams that we've never spoken before. So this call will be colder than the relationship between sales and marketing. <laughs> And you're in sales and you know that's true. I've highlighted my relevance to you. But at the same time, I've primed you for the fact that we've never spoken before. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's healthy. I don't, I, I don't love sales reps going, I'm an intrusion. Like I know mm-hmm. I'm an intrusion. It's like, we're just, you know, I don't know. We all have jobs to do. Right. And if, you, if you can get to the relevance part faster, you won't need to apologize. In other words, mm-hmm. what's in it for them? Right. So if I can tell you what's in it for them, or at least touch on something that you're struggling with. And the reason why I tell that joke is because I align sales and marketing teams. It's part one of the problems that I help them solve. Mm-hmm. You know, call reluctance is a challenge. SDRs don't want to pick up the phones. I wrote one joke. This call is colder than your SDR sweat. When you tell them less smiles, more dials. All right. <laughs> sure. And again, it's, it's just highlighting my relevance and in one fell swoop, saying that, that that this outreach is cold, like we've never spoken before. So, you know, it's cool if you don't know who this is. Do you typically, after you have a, do you have a, a moment or a point where you, I'm going to say like turn it off, whereas like, is, is most of this just meant to, when you're reaching out to someone, it's just meant to break the ice, get them to laugh and engage and say, okay, what do you got? Are you sprinkling in anything after that? Or are you using this more to get your foot in the door and really get through, I mean, people are getting tons of emails and phone calls, right? To kind of break through the noise and then kind of go about your, your way. Yeah, let, let's, let's break this down roll by roll. SDRs absolutely should be using this to hook their buyers, to break through the noise, to grab attention. I hate this term, pattern interrupt. I really hate it, but let's speak in the language of my audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really think that people are just, the pattern is that... Um, you know, CEOs and CFOs are just sitting around all day answering cold calls. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, you want to be different from everyone else calling. You want to be relevant. And it's good jokes are short. They should take no more than like 12 seconds. And so I believe for SDRs, it's a great way to get that door open. But once they're laughing, I don't think it's wise to keep the jokes up unless the rep, the, the buyer just wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they probably don't, but if you can then and then have a very serious statement that follows it. Like, I'm glad you laughed at that problem, but maybe it's a stat. Two-thirds of CFOs just like you are kind of struggling with that problem. Is this, is this you? You laughed. Is, is mm-hmm. this because it's true? I don't think that anyone should be funny all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what we're going for here. 
We're going for getting the door open for SDRs. For AEs, they're engaged in longer discussions. While they don't have to grab attention in the first 12 seconds, they do need someone, they do, do need the prospect to like them within the first minute or two. So I always think sliding in some kind of joke or humor or meme or cartoon on a, even if you're presenting over Zoom, I think that's very healthy. And if you're doing longer conversations, I think it's important to understand that people have a sustained attention span of about 18 minutes. That's roughly how long we can sort of vaguely focus in on something, mm-hmm. not fully zoned in. That's focused attention span, but we're talking about sustained. Sustained attention span is 18 minutes long. Coincidence or not, that's the length of a TED Talk. Interesting. So maybe if it's a half hour call at the 15 minute mark, figure out a way to reel them back in with something funny, whether it's a joke that you've crafted, whether it's, again, maybe a short video, a cartoon, a meme, however you you need to do it. You need to kind of like inject that shot of adrenaline and humanity back into the conversation to make sure they're on board. Awesome. Yeah, I, I spoke with someone a while back. I interviewed them and they... Their whole pro- their whole sales process was based around using memes, and it was it was very effective for them. Have you seen like what's your favorite thing you've seen maybe midway through a, a discovery call, or let's say a presentation that you that someone's used to like hook that person back in and like reset that fifteen minute clock? So I'm old at this point. I'm from <laughs> um, era century, if you will. And cartoons were kind of more like I liked a good cartoon with caption that was mm-hmm. customized. Memes are kind of like a, a layperson's way of creating like a, a cartoon, like a you know the old school editorial cartoons. But mm-hmm. I always liked cartoons because they always told a story and they made a point, and you had to read one sentence. Memes are no different. I just wish people would. And again, if they're effective, that's great. And again, maybe it's the, the way buyers are moving; they're getting quite frank younger and younger and when Mm -hmm. i say that i mean it's like i'm getting older i'm not that old but i am getting older and there's people from you know there's gen z there's millennials in management now and if they grow if they really appreciate memes definitely communicate with them that way i just want to see more people learning to be more conversational in a more human way and being able to relate to them through their words versus something that they created and put up on a screen Right. Got it. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you've seen before that has worked well, like a specific cartoon, maybe if you mentioned God, no, I haven't been involved in I haven't been employed by someone as an active sales rep, probably uh, 2016 and nothing, nothing springs to mind, but they were just, when I was at Oracle, every presentation had seemed like every deck that we were delivering to a prospect or, or an existing customer had some sort of funny moment in it just to mm-hmm. just build that, that rapport. Sure. Let's say someone's listening to this and they're a salesperson and they want to, you know, they, they're, they're motivated, they're motivated salesperson. They want to do better at their job. They're hearing this. They're interested in this because they think it could help them really understand their buyer more, you know, close more deals, build more pipeline, all of that. Like what are some exercises that they could do on their own, maybe at home or during their workday that will help them kind of build up that acumen for understanding their buyer better? Maybe some things you have people do. Yeah. And I mean, this is not, uh, this is stuff that I do in my workshops, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the only one who does this. I mean, it's sort of, it's important for every 
sales trainer out there to help to help sales reps become more conversant in the subject matter at hand. Look, if you're a venture funded company, you received a bunch of money because some investors realized, oh my God, there is a huge market opportunity here. A lot of executives, you know, let's say they're HR executives or manufacturing executives or CEOs, they're all struggling with this problem. And this is a solution for that problem. So someone believed that there was a big market upside there. Your job is to go understand how to get buyers to A, acknowledge they have this problem and what they're struggling as a result of choosing to not address it. So, you know, looking at a problem and saying, what's going to happen if they don't solve this problem? Understanding not just that it's going to cost time and money, but what are those root causes of wasting time? What are the root causes of wasting money? Paint a picture, very specific and granular. Is it a business process issue? Is it, is it a matter of overall mismanagement? Try and get granular, you know, as specific as you can about how they're not going to be able to reach their objective if they, if they stay the course. Mm-hmm. And to do that, just understand how a problem affects your buyer and every one of their stakeholders. And that just doesn't, that doesn't include just their colleagues. It's their customers, their suppliers, their partners. So you, they are right, and investors. So they're going through, they are, I assume, listing out different examples um, and getting very specific. And then it seems like trying to connect where they're at, like we talked about earlier, where they're at now, where they're trying to be. And like that gap in between is sort of the pain and or the solution. And they're kind of using those, tying those images all together to like tell, to tell a joke. For sure. Again, I'm not even talking about jokes so much. I'm talking about if you're going to be calling director or above or even a manager, you know, they want to know that if they answer the call or open the email, that you understand their world, that you're relevant to them, that this person, oh, they sound credible. They seem to have, if you're selling cybersecurity solutions, they seem to have an understanding of the impending threats in, in, in the environment that we're trying to resolve right now. And look, joke writing the jokes are just kind of the cheese at the end of a maze. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, let, let's talk about that. I think that's important to articulate. I look at reverse it. Like, like if you reverse engineer a joke that I, that, that either I wrote or came in my workshops, we can unpack everything that went into it and how reps walked away. Like all I want reps to do is walk away from one of my workshops, being able to have an easier conversation and not feel like the subject matter is so foreign that the buyer is like this person above me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want them to walk out feeling more confident, being able to talk without buzzwords, because paraphrasing is a big part of what we do, and being able to listen to a buyer when they're talking about the problems they're struggling with and it not being gibberish to the seller. Right. That's the big goal of what we're doing. And again, the cheese, sorry, the joke is just the cheese at the end of the maze. What do you? I'm sure you've encountered, whether from reps or managers, resistance to trying this, to doing this, these exercises, because it is it is different, right, than, than your standard sales training, right? It's getting people to use imagination, creativity to think a different way, which is a good thing, right? It can help in all areas of their work, helps them stand out in the inbox, stand out on phone calls. but is it more of a, 
hey, if you get it, you get it, give it a shot. And if you don't get it and understand why this is helpful, like, you know, it is what it is, or is there anything you've explained to people to help them understand like why this is important? Like you said, it's not jokes or just, it's not about the jokes. It's about getting to the joke. The joke's just the cheese at the end of the maze. Yeah. I mean, you, you just said it. It's like, it's more about the journey than mm-hmm. the destination. I think, I think a major challenge is again, everyone's in a big rush and Bingo. founders in rush because their investors are in a big rush. And investors give money to the founder. And what happens is the founder's reaching for the, the sack of money with the dollar sign on the side of it. And the investor goes like, not so fast. These are the rules. Mm-hmm. I want this to happen on this timeline. I want that to happen on, on this timeline. And the founder's like, oh, I didn't realize that. What they got to do is they got to go hire a CRO. And the CRO has told you, we, we need to get to this many reps by this date. And we need to be executing this amount of activity by this date. Mm-hmm. And none of it's executed in perfect fashion. It's rare that it does. Mm-hmm. And everyone's kind of panicking because, you know, all these artificial dates need to be hit. Right. All these artificial metrics need to be hit. And what's lost is are our reps able to have a meaningful business conversation and understand their challenges in a way where we can determine who the best prospects are and help them. Right. That I feel often gets lost. I mean, it's the most common problem I hear is that our SDRs and our EEs, they, they don't know how to have a meaningful business conversation because that's the part that's being overlooked. Everyone's loading up on sales tech right. and they're investing in, in heavy duty training methodologies. But at the end of the day, I don't know if you understand, if you can understand subject matter, I don't know, you know, sales methodology is important because it helps us advance deals mm-hmm. and disqualify them at the same time. But I think if you can listen to a buyer's problems and help them diagnose whether or not you're in a position to help. I feel that I don't, I'm not going to put a number on it, but I think that's a major part of the problems that a lot of reps struggle with. They just don't know, is this suitable for this prospect? I'm going to try and make it work even if it's not. Right. Um, And prospects get turned off by this. So, so the panic, the panic, coming from the founder to please investors trickles all the way down to prospects. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that everybody needs to be funny. I don't believe that everyone has to use the jokes to come out of the workshop. But again, the journey should make them better conversationalists, demystify certain concepts, and just help them better relate to their buyers and engage with them. Mm. And you don't have to name any names on this, but have you come across a company that has done it very well, like the opposite of that. They have, you see that they've invested a lot in their people and have gotten those good outcomes. Like what are some things that if you come across a company and you're consulting or wherever, who's done that well, like have you come up, like what are some things that, com- that companies that get it, not necessarily get it, but are doing the right things by their salespeople? What are they doing? I don't know. I, you know, there's such a rush to work for startups. Everyone wants to work for a startup. I'm a mm-hmm. firm believer that if you want to get into sales, it's not wise to start with a startup unless you're just maybe born to do sales. I think going to an Oracle, an IBM, I know mm-hmm. it sounds dodgy. It sounds super boring, but boy, will you get schooled? Yeah. And I don't mean in a negative way. I mean in a positive way. I knew nothing about sales and I walked out understanding how to sell and it served me pretty well. They just invest so much in you. And yeah, they're in a rush. They're being driven by share price. But 
they have a they have an infrastructure in place such that the wheels turning while you're training. Whereas with a startup, there's there's no time. Like they just right. want to close your business right away, but they haven't prepped you for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking in generality. Some do a great job of it, but there's you know I, I don't know the numbers, but obviously a good number of startups don't make it. Right. We we all know that uh, I don't know the numbers again, but a large percentage of SDRs and AEs don't hit their numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because too many people get into sales with organizations that aren't prepping them for really what they need to do and who they need to be. Sure. There's a reason companies like IBM and Oracle are very big, right? Like they figured a lot of selling. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. They figured it out and it's just a machine. And I completely agree, agree with that. If you're younger or you're getting into sales, like get paid to learn. Get paid to learn from the you know most successful company you can get into, and you'll learn so much just by being just through osmosis, right? I 100% agree with that. Uh, one of the one of the last things I want to touch on is playbooks. I know before uh, you had mentioned I know offline that you've been working on playbooks for clients, doing some things there. Can you just talk about a high level about type, the type of stuff you're putting together? Yeah, so uh, it's funny uh, you say that. Uh-huh, see what I did there? Actually, uh, funny you should say that was the original brand name I had. Changed it to funny enough. And now I just decided to go straight for the jugular and call it comedy writing for revenue teams. The idea is that if we write a joke that's one or two sentences, that joke is malleable. In other mm-hmm. words, we have different touch points with our buyers now. I really believe that jokes, the the, the best use case for them. And again, I just want to make one thing clear. I talked about how a joke is is not a long-winded story where, you know, eventually the punchline comes with one person saying something offensive to one another. Think of old school Twitter, 140 characters. A lot of comedians built names for themselves by writing jokes that were less than 140 characters. That's kind of the yardstick of what I mean by a joke, something that shouldn't take you more than 12 seconds to start and end. Mm-hmm. So six seconds to highlight your relevance and you know another few seconds to get to a punchline that subverts those expectations, makes them laugh, elicits an emotional reaction. But if we write a good joke, it can be adapted to different outreach channels or for different purposes. There's a, a cold call script. It's a little tougher with cold calls. It might depend on your style. But those sure. openers are a great way to open a conversation. And you know, I told you a couple of them, but the reality is you can write a cold opener for any audience. This call is colder than what because why? Or then than what? Mm-hmm. That same joke, whether it's a cold opener or some non-cold opener, which is the vast majority of jokes, can be adapted to cold email, can be adapted to a video message. In other words, I have this joke. I go, hey, Morgan, this is John Seelig, and we've never spoken before. Again, I can hit them with a joke right when that person opens the, the video in the email or on LinkedIn. And within six seconds, relevance, punchline six seconds after, and voicemails as well. And the last one, of course, is a LinkedIn connection requests. Mm-hmm. So there's this age-old debate on LinkedIn. Should you include a connection note or not? Do you accept these? I think sellers should always include a connection request highlighting their relevance to the buyer, not asking them for a meeting, not pitching, just a joke about something in their world that odds are they're struggling with 
or they've struggled with in the past, and at least they'll remember you. Mm -hmm. So a playbook takes a joke and adapts it to various outreach channels or circumstances. I'm talking to one prospect right now, and they want icebreakers for trade shows. So when someone comes to the booth and they say, what do you guys do? Uh, a quick a quick joke to highlight the problem that they solve or, or maybe something about how they solve it. There's different circumstances and a playbook will take that one joke and adapt it to, to several channels, shall we say. Yeah, and I'm sure, I would assume too that reps who get, ex- who get exposed to playbooks like this, it's easier for them to learn the information, easier for it to stick because if they use if they if if a rep uses a joke and a prospect laughs and responds positively to it they'll never forget it you know what i mean they will never forget it and they will not necessarily look for an opportunity to use it but when it presents themselves presents the opportunity presents itself and they can recall that they'll use it and then then they can work on the tonality and the timing and all sorts of stuff like that to make it better last question for you do you chat with people about that too tonality timing or is that, is that more you're trying to get them to do the exercise and to educate themselves? And then that kind of will work itself out as they sharpen their spear. Yeah, you're answering my own questions. Yeah. Uh, you're answering your own <laughs> so I appreciate that. Like save all kinds of breath and just save energy. But yeah, like we do, whenever, whenever I deliver a workshop, we have an open mic at the end where each breakout group, because this is done in breakout groups, they have to get up there in front of their peers or on Zoom and, and tell their jokes. And I give them some time to practice. I kind of coach them on timing and where the funny part might be and what to put an accent on. But I don't stress this. I also offer coaching after the playbook is delivered. I've written these jokes. Now, how are we going to use them? How are we going to put them into motion? We do some role-playing cold calls. And that's where the timing kind of gets discussed and shared a little bit. But it, for most of the workshop, I'm not too focused on timing. I do kind of communicate to them, like, you want your jokes to be short, short, brief, punchy to the point, eliminate any syllables and or words that do not add anything to what we're trying to say. Learn how to paraphrase and shorten, because that's going to make everything easier for the recipient. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. JohnSelig.com for anyone who's interested in checking out John and his work, J-O-N-S-E-L-I-G.com. John, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. You have a good one. You too. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. 